Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratycast. My name is Dale O'Donnell, I'm your host and I'm delighted again to be joined by Mike. Mike, how are you? Good, thanks. Uh, beautiful day down here in London. It's going to be hitting 31 degrees. Um, I'm thankful this is only going to be audio because I'm really not wearing a lot of clothes. <laughs> Far too fucking warm. But it's, no, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm good. It's, obviously I'm conflicted about the whole situation with no fans, but it's nice to actually have competitive football back again rather than just talking about speculation and whatnot, I think. Nothing beats actually talking about actual football matches. Yeah, no, we'll definitely get into that, the, the return of football, obviously, with the, the two games we're going to discuss, which is the draw against Spurs and the win over Sheffield United last night. Just um, the reason we didn't have a podcast on Monday was because I just didn't really want to talk about the game against Spurs for the simple reason is football only returned. When I was scanning through social media, i just seen you'd swear the, the season has, was never brought to a halt and that people were just being overly critical of, of a number of players. And like, let's face it, we, we, we've said it on the podcast um, throughout the pandemic that when the games do resume, the players are not going to be quite up to pace. It, they had a two or three months off, um, no real pre-season. So like, they're bound not to be exactly at their best. And I just thought that maybe after one game, for us to come on a podcast and to assess a performance, we'd be talking a lot of crap because we don't really know where the players are currently. I think the, the second game it might be even too soon as well, but it gives us a bit of a better idea again that Manchester United, compared to the other teams I've watched, they've really got an objective for the end of the season. 
Um, you look at Sheffield, who we bet last night 3 0, and I think they probably looked at the table and said, This is an achievement. Um, newly promoted side, you know, there's still with a chance of getting European football, but perhaps fighting for Champions League, um, they might be realistic about it, but think it's not going to happen. Um, and I think United, to be honest, from the second performance, we can take a lot more from it, but just. We'll talk about the Spurs game first, Mike. Um, the biggest topic of conversation stems from David De Gea and his absolute howler in the in the first half, which gave Stephen Bergwin the chance to get their opener. Um, it, it sparked a lot of controversy on Sky Sports. You had Roy Keane coming out, um, swinging punches at the at De Gea, saying that he wouldn't let him on the, the team bus afterwards. And, he was on whatever, and I'm not for good television. We'll talk about that too. But just on the mistake, firstly, I want to point out that Hale wasn't the only one at fault. Um, Harry Maguire got turned inside out, looked amateurish for an international. That's, that's, that's embarrassing. Um, and the Hale then absolute should, should have saved it. But, but Mike, what, what did you make of the whole mistake? Did, did you think people kind of over-magnified it, or is this an issue all season with the Hale, or even maybe beyond just taking that in isolation, I think what made that a story was Roy Keane's reaction. Like, there's no question. If without that reaction, that's not a story. They talk about the mistake. Maybe it's in, it's in some of the news, the sports news, the football news the day after, and then it kind of disappears. Roy Keane's reaction was what made this a story. And boy, I wonder why he can't get a manager's job when he's like that. He's only doing the punditry. <laughs> it's insane. Just if he's... He had this wild hair that looked like he'd been in a desert island for about three. I mean, this is what happens when you lock a guy like Keane up for three months of his family and he's got no football to be getting on with. And he just loses the plot when he, when he walks out there in the first game. Um, I thought the way I ever handled Keane was amazing. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I love Everett and just the way he handled Keane. And it was like, ordinarily, Keane would have wanted to punch the person handling like that, but he, you could see... There was a smirk on Keane's face that he just he couldn't dislike. Patrice Every he just he, he just couldn't dislike it. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. I, 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 I just thought too that when I was reading the reactions to the analysis, a lot of people are kind of pointing out that um, I wonder why Keane hasn't got a job and he's a failed manager and so on. That absolutely don't agree with. Don't agree with. But in this, he. What he says does carry weight because he, he played at the top for so many years. Um, he's someone that, that just demanded excellence and the sheer best from the players around them. So I think when, when, he, when he's talking about United and he referenced that this is a team fighting for top four, not actually Premier League titles, I can see where he's coming from. And, and, and everything would, he would, said, would, would you he say, right. would you say that about Would you say that about Sunas as well? I can see elements of that in Sunas too. Um, but what I'm saying is, though, there's parts of Sunas analysis that you, you could definitely nitpick at and, and question. I don't think Roy Keane, in, in his punditry, picks on anyone. He's actually really consistent. You almost, with Roy Keane, know exactly what he's going to say, no matter what player is being... I think it was a bit over the top when he said he's the most overrated goalkeeper he's ever seen. Like, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got his I got his criticism of Pickford a few months ago because I do think Jordan Pickford is an overrated goalkeeper. Mm. I don't even think he's the best English goalkeeper right now. But the De Gea one is look, De Gea's issue I think comes from the fact that 
one of the one of the reasons why you worry so much for a goalkeeper is one thing when a goalkeeper makes a mistake, it inevitably will lead to a goal. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, it leads to a goal. When an outfield player makes a mistake, someone else can cover it. Um, and yeah, Maguire's defending was appalling, frankly. To just stand there and just let somebody run past him like that. As an international defender and as the captain of your team, you should never ever be doing that. And I think no one will be more angry at Harry Maguire than I think Harry Maguire probably was when that goal was scored. He was probably furious at himself for that. And I think you saw throughout the rest, I think in the second half, he was much better. And I think... uh, the game against Sheffield United, he was much better. And he's generally been excellent all season. I also think Shaw in the first half was very poor as well. He got a run in him done a number of times in that game. And whether that was just rustiness, I don't know. Obviously, with goalkeepers as well, it does, it does seem to be a tendency when goalkeepers start to fall into a rut of bad form over a long period of time. They find it very hard to get out of it. Whereas with an outfield player, it can be a little bit easier because, again, it's less attention when you take that outfield player out of the team for a few games and then put him back in. He's like a goalkeeper out of the team because he's not been playing well. People start going, oh, hang on a minute. I just wonder whether De Gea, that maybe when that move to Real Madrid was up a couple of years ago, maybe he, he should have got, I think. And I wonder whether maybe he needs to move. The only thing I'll say is, people have to remember too, that there's a massive degree of loyalty in United when it comes to De Gea because he's been there for so long and, and throughout those seasons... He he saved United a number of times, countless times. <clears throat> and I just think, thinking back, it's it hasn't been since 2018 that he's been the best goalkeeper in the world. That's two years. No, he's it's, the best goalkeeper in the league, Dale. No, he's he's not the best goalkeeper in the league. No, definitely not. And he's on, he's the highest paid goalkeeper in the world. His mm-hmm. job is is not to make mistakes. You mentioned that it gets over magnified when goalkeepers make mistakes. I totally agree. But we're also talking about Manchester United, a team that we, we think should be there challenging for the league title um, every season and challenging for the biggest honours. And that's just not good enough. It, it's not good enough. And it, The big thing, though, in Gary Neville's analysis on this, because I want to bring in Dean Henderson. Obviously, he couldn't play last night. He was ineligible because he's still a United player. But um, all the talk has been about him possibly replacing the Hale next season. Gary never makes a big point that to be Manchester United's number one, you also have to have a big personality. It's, 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 it's a massive step up from being a goalkeeper for Sheffield United when, let's face it, not everyone is watching you every week. At Manchester United, everyone's watching you every week. It's a big step up. Do you think, what do you think Manchester United should do? Do you think they should bring in Henderson and let him fight for the number one spot with Hale? Because I think if he's coming back, he wants to come back with the promise that he is number one. Oh, I mean, you're talking about personality. Dean Henderson certainly doesn't laugh at personality. Um, he is a very, very confident young man, and he's a very talented goalkeeper. Gary Neville is right about that. We've seen a lot of good goalkeepers come through the doors at Manchester United. It hasn't worked out. Ben Foster's an excellent goalkeeper, but he just couldn't deal with the pressure of being a Manchester United goalkeeper or being an England goalkeeper. doesn't mean he is not a very good goalkeeper. He's had a very good career because he, he has in both of those camps. Um, but he just, it was a bit too much at Manchester United. You know, there's a lot of goal. <laughs> People kind of laugh at Fabian Bates. Fabian Bates was a good goalkeeper, okay? He was a very good goalkeeper. It just didn't quite work at Manchester United. Listen, he still won a league title. He didn't have a terrible time, but he made a lot of mistakes. 
didn't work out. Maybe he just didn't have quite the personality. Mark Bosnitz was a good goalkeeper. People might forget that now, but he was a very good goalkeeper. In fact, when he was a youth player, he was on the books at Manchester United in the, in the um, early 1990s. He was a very, very highly regarded goalkeeper. He moved away to guarantee himself first-team football. But again, just didn't quite work out at the time. This happens all the time. And yes, Dean Henderson still got to prove himself. But when you're playing at this level, you're always proving yourself all the time. That's why it's so hard to stay at such a high level. That's when you talk about footballers who perform at such a high level for a long time, especially at the same club. It's so rare because you always have to keep proving yourself, sometimes just yourself. De Gea is at the point now where he has to sort of reprove himself again. And he, I wonder whether he's still in his 20s, right? He's still a young guy. He's still got a good 10, 10 to 12 years left at the top level as a goalkeeper, if he wants to. Whether that's at Manchester United, I don't know. Sometimes a player just needs uh, time to, uh, just needs a bit of breathing room to maybe develop bits and pieces of his game um, and then get back on track. Sometimes a player can only do that by moving clubs. I just had this vibe with the hay that maybe he should have moved on a couple of years ago. But who's, who's, who's to say? Maybe Dean Henderson coming back is going to give him a kick up the arse. But um, the one thing I would say to Gary Neville is you can't prove yourself as a goalkeeper if you don't play. Dean Henderson is going to have to play. And I think he's earned the chance to play for Manchester United. I think he's earned, he's earned the chance to have the chance what he does when he gets that chance, I don't know. But I think he definitely has earned that chance and he should be given it because I look at him and there's a lot about him that's really, he's very good and he's very confident. He's got a big personality. He's the kind of person that, um, and he made a mistake quite early on in the season. Chris Wilder really laid into him for it. I remember in a yeah. post-match interview, he responded brilliantly. So he's Was that against City by any chance? It was, yeah. And he said, look, if he, and basically Chris Wilder said, if he wants to play for Manchester United, he's got to be better than that. He's not going to get any sympathy from me. And Dean Henderson responded superbly by not yeah. making any more mistakes that season. So he's one of those guys that can respond to a bit of rough treatment as, as well, to being, getting a bit of a bollocking from a manager. So I think he's, everything I've seen suggests he's got the character to be a Manchester United player. And that's been a big thing for United in the last few years. United have signed lots of talented players. They haven't signed maybe players that are made mentally of the right stuff to be a Manchester United player. Just another name to bring into the debate because it's all a bit about Henderson and De Gea. But United's second-choice goalkeeper, Sergio Romero, has very rarely put a foot wrong when he's been called upon at United. And I just think that although probably neither of us would pick him as to be first-choice anyway, it's just it seems a bit unfair that he's not put up in, in conversation because, like I said, He's very, very put a foot wrong when he's been called upon. Um, a very, very safe pair of hands, you know? No, I agree. The, the thing is with Henderson and De Gea is there's still a place for Romero at the club, I think, because in terms of the battle between Henderson and, and De Gea, I think whoever comes out the losing end is going to leave the club. Yeah. In pretty yeah. short order. Um, there's only room going to be room for one alpha. There's only ever room for one alpha, really. Um Sergio Romero is excellent. You know, he was our goalkeeper in that Europa League run. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, really, really good goalkeeper. 
always amazed that if you look at his club appearances, he's never made more appearances at clubs, which is a bit bizarre. The guy's got 80 of caps, I think, for Argentina yeah. as well. Um, really, really good goalkeeper. I think most of the teams in the Premier League, he would be the number one, Sergio Romero. I'm absolutely convinced about that. Um, it is, yeah, it's a shame. Um, it depends what he wants to do. Listen, if he decides he wants to leave to go and get first team football somewhere else, I wouldn't begrudge him that. No. I think he's, I think he's earned the respect of the United fans and everyone at the club to go and seek that if he wants it. But if he comes out and says, sticks his hand up in training and says, look, boss, I think I should be given a shot as a number one here. So why don't you give me this shirt? Again, I don't think anyone could argue with that. He's earned the chance. It's a nice problem to have. Mm. And it might be the best thing for the Hayer to have a couple of top goalkeepers really snapping at his place. It might, it might just cajole him into his best form. Because I think when he is at his best, he is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. But it's not been in his best for a while. And the worry I have is I just look at... Remember when Joe Hart kind of went into that terminal decline? And Joe Hart was brilliant for, for quite a while. He was really good at City. And then when he started declining, that was it. And it wasn't like he was an old player when he declined. He was late 20s, early 30s when he went into decline. And he's finished. He's a top-level yeah, player. He's bad at Torino as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's bad. He's really bad. As hard as he tried, he just... It just once he lost it, it's hard to get it back, and it is hard for goalkeepers. So, just, just he's at a crossroads in his career right now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how this plays out. Um, I'm kind of on the fence that he has to the end of the season to to prove his worth, and I think ideally Henderson will go out on loan again next season. But um, it, but if he doesn't, and he continues to to make those kind of mistakes that are costing goals for Manchester United, I think Solskjaer will be almost forced into making a decision he doesn't want to make right now. Let's face it. Because the hey, I, I, I still think there's a class goalkeeper, and it might be going through a, a tough time at the moment. But as, as Mike said, there's people clipping at his heels. There's Henderson there, one of the most outstanding goalkeepers in the Premier League this season. Um, Serge Romero never puts a foot wrong when he's called upon. So for Solskjaer, it, it, it's a great, great um, problem to have because, as we've seen in the past, Rice Ferguson even. He wasn't always blessed with goalkeeping talents uh, to replace Michael. It took a very, very long time. Um, so, yeah, for the rest, the rest of the game, Mike, just to, to close up on the Spurs match, Bruno Fernandes got on the score sheet again, obviously in the penalty spot. Um, and, of course, too, he, he was a call for a second penalty in which, or was there, was there a mix-up or something? Rashford was supposed to take the penalty. Um, and Bruno Fernandes kind of stood up and someone kind of shouted and said, let Bruno take it from... Or Rashford wanted to take it initially, so it's a bit of a mix-up like previous earlier on in the season. Yeah, but um, but he put it away. He, he he's very calm. I think it looks like Bruno is going to be the penalty taker. I think for United going But the, but the, there's three options. You know, there's three options. You've Rashford, Pogba, Fernandez. I know. I, I I'm not a an anonymous, Rashford and Pogba have both missed a few, and uh, Bruno just seems to be a better penalty taker. <laughs> I know, um, but but to have have the option is three. I'm not I'm not I'm not in favour at all of as you've seen a previous manager kind of letting it up to the players to decide who takes it, and then you have chopping and change, and you have people being nice and kind of offering players that are maybe yeah. on two goals to take penalties. No, you've designated penalty taker, and he's the no, one. No, I who absolutely takes them. agree. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, so it's the far, same set piece takers as well in general. Yeah, you you put you put your best set piece, you put your best free kick taker on free kicks all the time. You know why? Why? Why would you change it? I know it's it. It seems to be kind of something that's crept into the game 
almost in recent years that we have different penalty yeah. takers and stuff, and it, it, it just it doesn't make any sense. Um, it's the same with it's the same, even the same with corners because when you have the same person designated on any kind of set piece, it then means that you can construct any tactics that you do around the set piece, even around penalties. You know, if you get a rebound, you know, you need to know who's going to be ready for the first guy in. On a rebound, I want, I want Rashford in on a rebound because um, his penalty taking has been kind of iffy and it's the same with Pogba as well. I'd rather them coming in on the rebound. Bruno just seems to have the coolest head yeah. of those guys. That's why you want, what you want in a penalty taker is sort of the guy with ice in his veins. And it's the same for corners and free kicks. It dictates how you then play the set piece going forward. It also dictates to say whether you've got someone who's a free kick or a corner taker to make sure that they are spending a little bit more time practicing taking those set pieces on the training ground as well. It was obviously sparked the return to of Paul Pogba, who made a massive impact off the bench when he came on with Mason Greenwood. Um, Pogba literally kind of came back with everyone speaking about him, everyone wondering will he hit form? Did he want to be at Manchester United? Well, he made such an impact in that game. He wanted a start against Sheffield United. In another game, he was brilliant in. But against Spurs, he played in a little more kind of advanced position. And he was making things happen instantly. Yeah, he did. He did. I, I, I always would, as I'm sure you would as well, Dale, urge a little bit of caution with Paul Pogba because we all remember when Mourinho left, he was really good for about two months and then just decided to stop playing. So we'll see what happens with him. He did change the game, really. Well, and Greenwood as well, to be fair. Greenwood caused Spurs a tremendous amount of problems. Uh, Spurs, to, be, to their credit, were very well organised in that game. Um, I think Mourinho had them set up very well. Um, to try and maybe hopefully nick a win, but certainly get a point. Um, and then obviously against Sheffield United, I mean, he was superb. Played a deeper position against Sheffield United, um, although him and Bruno seemed to sort of alternate who was going forward and who was staying back. Uh, with obviously Matic just kind of shuttling across the defence. And by the way, Matic was excellent against Sheffield United. He was, he was very, very good in that game. Um, one of the things... I look at the options we have in midfield now in terms of Pogba, Fernandez, Fred um, and McTominay. Younger players, quicker players, more athletic players in the midfield. It maybe gives Matic a little bit more breathing room to be able to sit there, to sort of sit in front of the defence and kind of dictate the game because he's got a fabulous range of passing and his positional play is very, very good. But he's just not very quick. So I think maybe... Obviously, I think Solskjaer clearly would like to keep Matic around. Um, I'm not sure he was so hot on keeping Matic around when he first came in. Matic has worked hard, and when he's come back into the team, has really proved himself um, as someone who shows some leadership on the field. I think one of the things you see when you don't have the crowd noise is, um, is sort of who are the, the most vocal players in the team, and Maguire and Matic seem to be two of the most vocal. Uh, I very clearly heard in the Sheffield <laughs> Sheffield United game, I think Shaw maybe didn't track back and Harry Maguire just shouted, fucking track back. <laughs> and Luke Shaw screaming at him. And Matic a few times was just handing out absolute bollockings and roastings to Pogba and Fernandez for not running back to pick players up. You need, you need that, need, I think United, yeah, United haven't had that. I think United have really not had that in the last few years. And that's been a big problem. And I think that's why he's keen to keep Matic there because he's an extra player that does that in the team. 
And like I said, fabulous range of passing. One of the things I love about Masic is passing. He plays those really good, quick, low forward passes. Um, Roy Keane used to play these passes all the time. And the thing about them is, is you kind of cut the defenders out of the game when you play them. And you basically, um, they kind of look harder to control. But if you're a top-level player, actually what you want is someone to be playing those passes into you because you can take those on the turn. It takes any oncoming defenders out of the game. And he just adds a little bit of a, a difference to the team to have him in there. I don't think he's quite as good as Michael Carrick, but he has something of a little bit of Michael Carrick about the job that he can do in front of the defence. Seeing that against Sheffield, some of the balls are played forward, and you have you, you made a good point. You have a world-class players like Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes. You've seen the little shimmy and the one-touch movement, and it, it, yeah. look, it looks really, really clever. Um, yeah. And it kind of makes sense because it, part of, again, referring to Gary Neville's analysis, he was talking kind of about the, in the lead-up to the Spurs game about Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba and how everyone was kind of nearly in debate about how Solskjaer are going to make this work. You know, you have two quality players there. People didn't question that when it was um, uh, David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, you know, or Bernardo Silva as well. You, you yeah, know, it's two kind of real yeah. attack-minded players in the field. And if you have that player, again, City had that intelligent player, Fernandinho, um, who anchored midfield for a very long time. You know, a safe pair of hands, someone that does the basics yeah. right and very, very uh, well. And I think with more experience, maybe McTominay can become that player. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I don't think he's there yet. Did you? No, he's not. But he's got, he's got the character about him as well, yeah, I think, yeah. McTominay. Um, I don't know if you saw the sprint times he was clocking up, by the way, in training. Did you see that? No, I seen him sprinting after like, He was doing 100 metres in like just under 12 seconds, Dale. That's insane. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I that's never incredible. knew he was that quick. I never knew he was that quick. Um, so the thing is, and this is the thing for Matic as well, which I think helps him a lot. He's got options now to pass the ball forward. Which early run in the season and that horrible end to last season, we didn't have. Even Fred provides you an option because he's, Fred is constantly shuttling box to box, non-stop, giving so much energy. I noticed McTominay has started doing this as well, trying to get forward more um, when Matic is in there. So it means when Matic, literally, he can get the ball instantly. And Maguire can do this as well, because Maguire's a good passer of the ball. I think that's a little bit overlooked. Instantly, those two guys can look forward and know, right, I can hit a good ball forward here and literally just pivot the whole team going in the other direction. It makes a huge difference. When it comes to Pogba, like I said, I would issue caution to everyone because we've seen this even before. The challenge for Pogba is he needs to deliver consistency because I don't think he's going anywhere next season now. I, yeah. I don't see that happening. I think the only two options on the table were Juventus, which in, in the last day or two we've seen, that's off. You can forget that. And Juventus have players that they need to get rid of before they could get Pogba in because um, otherwise they can't afford him. And Real Madrid are also in the same scenario as well um, and you know listen he has to deliver consistency just for himself I still think he has designs of going to play for Real Madrid if you think he's had a tough time from people for not delivering consistently on and off the field at United it's a whole other level at Real Madrid he needs to hit the ground running there from week one because if you don't the fans will turn on you and the media will turn on you and even uh, people from upstairs within the club are going to turn on you so he cannot be going into Real Madrid with the same attitude he's had at times at Manchester United. He needs to deliver. He needs to deliver consistency. One of the things I noticed about Pogba in these last couple of games, he looks like he's gotten a bit of muscle. 
Um, so he's trying to make himself, not that he was ever uh, too small or anything, but obviously he's trying to make himself a little bit more robust. The players under Solskjaer, especially with this, they've had this time, this, this three months as well, but I felt this um, in January and February. The players are, are as, this is as, in terms of physical fitness, this is the fittest looking United squad I think I've seen in a long time. He has clearly got these, him and Carrick and McKenna and the fitness coaches there very clearly got United players into some serious shape. You know, he Look at the size United of Greenwood. Greenwood's a yeah, big boy now. Yeah. I mean, it's, all, it's always, the thing with Greenwood was always going to be that because he was so young. You're always going to be skinnier when you're younger. But he's got more room for further out. Greenwood was excellent, by the way. It, but for these games that he's featured in, it's more and more becoming difficult to leave him out of the starting lineup because he's so good. Um, you know, I mean, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm thinking the European Championships obviously been put back a year. Come Euro 2021, is he knocking on the door of the England squad? Because I think he might be, Dale. Oh, I think I he's really definitely think, knocking on the door. Yeah, definitely. Um, and um, the, I'm sure you're going to get, I quite like to talk about Anthony Martial as well and how his game's developed since the turn of the year. Um and, and to get your thoughts <laughs> did, on him. Did, did you brilliant. see his post-match interview last night after the game? He, um, I didn't see that. It's fucking brilliant. So, so after scoring three goals, he, he, he's almost in disbelief. And I think we commented a number of times in the blog, he doesn't really smile very often, but he had this permanent smile across his face and he, could, he couldn't really hold it in. But he, he, forgot, he almost forgot the match day ball. Um, Karen Schottbold had to remind him <laughs> as he was walking off the pitch to get it off the referee. And when he was being interviewed, he, he was laughing, but he forgot who assisted him for each of the three goals. Um, this was the first hat-trick. And Rashford assisted him for two, didn't he? Rashford for two and one Bissaka. But this was United's first hat-trick in Premier League for seven years. Um, and I think yeah, Van Persie was the I, last one. I think it's something that Soldier's going to be over the moon about because since he's got the job, he's spoken about Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial being young strikers. And let's face it, before this season, they showed lots of potential, but they hadn't really kind of stamped their authority on, on, on the United first team yet. They hadn't really yeah. kind of cemented their place. And I think there's a lot of asked of them this, this season when, when United sold Romelu Lukaku, got rid of Alexis Sanchez on loan and didn't get in any replacements. So they played, the likes of Greenwood even, has played more games than what he would have imagined. And the same goes for Daniel James. But I think Martial, and I think looking back at, at Solskjaer's comments, he, he's asked of those strikers to start scoring more easy goals when the ball goes into the box be able to throw your foot at a ball two, two near post goals wasn't it yeah exactly and this, Martial showed that last night showed he was super clinical he was absolutely excellent up front really led the line by example and he said after the game that I can make this United team better if I continue scoring goals but he has to ensure that when we watch Martial, some weeks it looks like he's not interested. Let's face it, he's not, he's not running for balls. It's just this, this sheer level of inconsistency. And I think if he had almost the drive that Rashford has, I think we'd have a much better player. But he needs to knuckle himself down now and realise that We've between... We've seen that maybe he has, though, in the last few months. Maybe, may but what I'm saying is this spell now, between now and the end of the season, what is there? There's seven games left or eight games left. Um, he, he, he needs to score most of those games. He need, this is his time now to prove that he can lead the line because yeah. not, not long ago, a few weeks ago, there was talk about, you know, you've been interested in Timo Werner. Moussa Dembele's constantly popped up. So Solskjaer has been looking at getting in a goal scorer. I think 
if Anthony Martial Greenwood is knocking on the door, as exactly, well exactly. So I, I think Solskjaer might come to the conclusion now that he's not going to sign a centre forward. He's going to prioritise Sancho on the right wing, wing. And, and, and go with Martial, having Greenwood to back him up. And you're still getting goals on the left flank from Rashford. I don't think yeah. we're going to sign a centre forward in the summer. And I think if he proves that between now and the end of the season, Soldier really won't have to. Yes, he does have to prove it. I think it was interesting you mentioned when he said, I can make this team better if I'm scoring goals. The fact that he's saying that means he knows he needs to be picking up his game. I think um, he's just an, he's quite an introverted character, Martial. He's very quiet. Even off the field, he pretty much um, is the vibe from Wyoming, really, Martial. He, he goes home to his, his wife and his kids off the field. He, he, he lives a pretty quiet life off the field. He's not... Um, so he, he keeps himself to himself. He's quite... a People that I know he's spoken to, so he's quite an intelligent young guy as well, a thoughtful guy. I think Sosa seems to have found the way to motivate him and and really help him a lot. And um, it's interesting now. I think we're starting to see the players are enjoying playing for the club, but not in a way where they're thinking they're getting an easy ride, in a way that they're motivated to go and win football matches. We really want to go and win. We want to try and make this team as good as possible. It's not just Solskjaer. I think McKenna and Carrick, who by all accounts have a big input on training the players as well, are doing a tremendous job. Fantastic, young, vibrant coaching team. I think Mike Phelan being back in the Roman club actually helps quite a lot because he was part of a whole winning culture at Manchester United. Um, so it really helps him to be around the club as well. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a good thing there. And obviously we'll, we'll get into the nuances and performances more um, I thought Juan Bissaka as well. Did he make his 100th tackle of the season or something, I heard, in that game against Sheffield United. Just incredible. I think Jamie Carragher was saying earlier after the Manchester derby, he's like, he is the best tackler of the ball I've seen that in the Can Premier League right some, now. Some analysis from Graham Sooners the other day. He wrote a column, I, I forget which outlet it was, but he was talking about Juan Bissaka um, and being almost not worth 50 million because nowadays... Fullbacks are expected to get forward and trying to raise the the argument Juan Bissaka is not very good at getting forward. But I was reading that and I was saying, well, first and foremost, his job, a fullback Manchester United to defend, he's arguably the best tackling fullback I've seen in my time watching football. Um, yeah. he, it's as clean as a whistle. I haven't seen a fullback tackle like him. And Timing. He's the best... It's a ground tackle I've ever seen when he yeah. makes a slide tackle. He yeah. never makes a mistake. It's, it's perfect. It's, it's unbelievable. It soon Roy, it's Roy Hudson knows a defender when he sees one. He's always known a good defender, Roy Hudson. Roy Hudson picked him out and put him into the team. But, but did Sunis kind of just critical analysis was... was I, I, I couldn't understand it. It was like he's been so good this season. Pretty much everyone's raving about him within, within reason. And he's kind of comparing him to, to Trent... Alexander Arnold, and I'm like, they're two very, very lazy. different fullbacks. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's very, lazy. Very lazy. You, could, you could have. Can you appreciate both? Can you appreciate they're both different yeah, players? Exactly. They're both exactly. fucking very good. Exactly, exactly. And they're very different players. You know, you could almost play. I wonder whether um, when it, uh, the international start again, I wonder whether, because Southgate's quite fond of a back three, I wouldn't be surprised if you play Trent Alexander-Arnold as a right wing-back and Juan Bissaka on the right of a back three to cover for Alexander-Arnold, you could put them in the same team, could, I think. Yeah. Very, very different players. Alexander-Arnold is 
man, he is a phenomenal talent. Like, he's an incredible footballer. That goal he scored yesterday was just a ridiculous goal. He's, he's a playmaker. Alexander-Arnold is a playmaker. He's an attacking playmaker who just happens to play at right wing-back because Klopp found the slot for him there that was good in the team. And he was playing there in a youth team. But, I mean, I look at Trent Alexander-Arnold. He could go and be a midfielder. I think he could be a midfielder if he wanted to. I think Gary Neville mentioned this. He's got the attributes to go and be a midfielder if he wanted to be. Or maybe if they, they, the club wanted to put him in that position. A little bit like Philippe Lam. Wan-Bissaka is a very different yeah. player. Yeah, Wan-Bissaka is a very different player. Although I, I've seen Wan-Bissaka almost game by game show more and more going forward, yeah. I think. Especially since Christmas. It's a, I think so. I think so. Um, and Alexander-Arnold needs to develop the defensive side of his game as well. There's still elements of his defending that he needs to kind of work on and, and develop. Um, he's just quite lucky that, you know, listen, you've got Virgil van Dijk and Joel Matic behind you. That, that can cover for an, uh, a number of errors. And he's probably not quite as good as... He's not, he probably not... He is in terms of a defensive fullback, he's not even as good as Andy Robertson. Um, yeah, I, I, people do this all the time comparing players. Even go straight up to the top of him, so Ronaldo or Messi, totally different footballers. Can you not just appreciate you've got two of the best ever players that have ever played the game playing at the same time, which is just not something you ever see. Um, I think very different players, both absolutely phenomenal. You know, easily the two best right-backs in the league. Now I think Wan-Bissaka is probably, I always would have said, I always had Cesar Azpilicueta up there as an awesome right-back. I think Wan-Bissaka has gone past him um, in, in, over this last season. Um, and the thing with him as well is he's got the right character to be a top-level player, Wan-Bissaka. You can see that. He's just relentless, absolutely relentless, phenomenal athlete. Listen, they've both got incredibly high ceilings. I wouldn't say either of them are world-class footballers yet, but I think they will go and be world-class footballers if they keep pushing themselves on in the way that they are. And yeah, I, don't, I just appreciate them both for what they are. Very different, phenomenal players, absolutely phenomenal players. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you have to say, you know, there was a, you know, the club made a lot of the amount of scouting they went into to get in and he right back in and he was, ended up being on, I think it was a shortlist of maybe three players for that position, but they just felt Wan-Bissaka, I think that we had to get a more defensive fullback in because the priority for United was showing up the defence and not conceding goals. And I think defensively, Manchester United have been so much better this season than I've seen in a while. More organised, more disciplined. Um, I, I, I think looking at the two games, looking back at the two games, Solskjaer has definitely picked on his, his back five, back four. Um, with the hair. Wan-Bissaka, Maguire, Lindelof and, and Luke Shaw. I think Williams will come in in games because there's a lot of games to play. But he's definitely going to... He might come in into in games see, as well. I, wa- I wanted to get to Eric Bailey because I actually don't think Soldier trusts him. Um, I think a lot of people would be of the opinion that they, they would prefer him to start games over Lindelof. Um, I, I, I would certainly be in that camp. I, I don't think Lindelof yeah. is, is a good enough centre-forward. Um, I, I think Eric Bailey's a lot better. He has he has his drawbacks. He's quite rash. I think he's a better defender though than, than Lindelof. But Solskjaer clearly doesn't agree with that. And I, I I think he's set now on his defence for the remainder of the season. Whether or not they can get a centre back in the summer, I I really think they need. I one that's a, that, 
I remember saying that was, that's got to be a priority for United. To get I, th- I think it has to be Absolutely because priority. We, we all think that Eric Bailey is better than, than Lindelof. A lot of people do. Um, but again, it, it's not really based on much because he hasn't had a... Jose Mourinho for that as well, by the way. He did. Jose Mourinho for... In his first season, he, he was very, very good. Um, but there, there, are, there are bits of Lindelof's game, I guess, that, that he can point to. He's probably a bit more assured, especially in, in the past year. Last season, he was one of our most improved players. We can't forget that mm-hmm. either. But I just think he lapses in concentration. I think when you're playing at this level, and we, we, we put the, the magnifying glass on David De Gea for making a crucial mistake, but how many goals have, have you counted? There's countless where Lindelof has lapsed concentration. He's been at fault. That's the exact same thing that De Gea did last week. He does it. Luke does Shaw's it. been guilty of that. Yes, yeah, he has. Well. He has too. And look, with Luke Shaw, I think it's something that maybe look over time he'll develop in his game. One thing with Luke Shaw is he's come on so much already. I'm not going to say he can't. He can't develop that side of his game because I'm really, really happy with his progress this season since yeah. Williams. And, and consistently. Physically fitter than we've ever seen him yeah, ever. Yeah, he seems to be more motivated. He seems to have got himself motivated to stay in that shape. So he's he's proven himself. That's that's. Go back to players wanting to prove themselves. It, I think it, so. I think so. Um, sometimes, like I said, maybe it's the same with De Gea. Maybe that kick up the arse from competition is going to spur him to go right. I'm going to add facets to my game. You know, Shaw's turning around and going right. I'm going to develop facets to my game. It means I can play. In a centre, as a centre half in a back three, and he's done that a few times this season and be very good. Even though ordinarily you would look at Shaw just his height alone would almost disqualify him from playing as a centre half. He's he's quite short, but he, he's got discipline. He's added more discipline, I think, to his game. Um, again, I think credit to the coaching staff who seem to have figured out a way to mo- get these players motivated. Which is something Ferguson was generally always good at. He'd take the players who maybe weren't that great at other clubs, but he found a way to get these guys motivated. It's really important. Man management is still so important and so key to teasing out stuff with players and finding the right fit. I would still like us to buy another left back in the summer. I think maybe two defenders United needs to be looking at centre half and and left back, or maybe someone that can fill in at both left or right back. You know, a bit of versatility. What about Dallo? I don't know what's going on with him. He's not playing. Mm. Big I question know, maybe mark. he needs a year out. Big question mark because I think I think he's he's very um he could be a very important figure in in in, in the squad. Um, you mentioned he's great going forward. He's, he's a fully going forward, but, but he can play in either flank too. Um, and it's just a handy tool to have in a squad. It's a shame, but it seems that whenever an opportunity pops up for him that he would get minutes, he's not fit. Um, and I, I don't yeah. really know what what's been the case with him this he's season. He's because, still only what twenty. Yeah, he's I very young. He's, he's, but, he's a young guy. He's still got time. I think he was bought with a few years ahead in mind. But interestingly, so when 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 we return to action. Solskjaer said the only injuries in the camp that were picked up were that, that Tanzebe wasn't quite fit and that Phil Jones had picked up an injury. But there was no mention of Diego Dallo. Phil Jones picks up an injury. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Shocker. I feel bad, but it's just like, what did he do this time? He slide tackle a goalpost. <laughs> Mike, um, looking back at the game against Sheffield, obviously we can take a lot more from that. Um, give us a, an, an overall kind of view on the game. I still don't think we were near our best. I think we had patches where we were really, really good. 
Um, but there was also patches where we were quite sloppy and a little bit rusty. Um, we could have won five or six nil, to be honest. I mean, Marcus Rashford could have had a couple of goals in that game, don't you think? Um, as well. Uh, so, but um, there was, I mean, the third goal was just absolutely beautiful goal. Lovely move, team move. Great finish from Martial. Um, he's on 19 goals now for the season. That's his best ever return that he's had in his career. I want to see him. He, it's, it's, you know, a bit of a stretch to say he could get 30 goals. But hey, if I was Solskjaer, I'd go, you've got seven games left. Let's see if you can try and get 30. Can you get 11 goals in those seven games? It's a lot, but it's like, give it a go. See what you get. If he comes back at the end of the season with 25 goals, that's, that's a good return. That's a good sounding board for him next season. I thought um, the it was good to see that we've got options. There's now some options in the team. There's a little bit of depth there. Solskjaer can make some changes. We've got the FA Cup game with Norwich, I think, in mind now, where I think Ole will make a few changes. Um, I, I do like the fact that they brought in this five subs thing just to get us through to the end of the season because, obviously, at the moment, it's going to be a little bit like a World Cup or a European Championship, so teams are playing every few days. So I think it behooves them to give a bit more breathing room to make more substitutions. I love the fact... I just feel like Ole made five substitutions at the same time yesterday just because he could. He was like, oh, watch this. I'm going to be the first guy that makes five substitutions <laughs> in a competitive game because I can. Um, we've got options. You've still got a Galo who can come in. I think he's shown more than enough to show that he was capable, he's capable of starting a game. Gives United another option up front. We've got options in midfield now. There's, there's the bones there of a really good squad. There's still players you need to bring in. I still think we need maybe another option going forward. I would still prefer a centre-forward to Sancho, personally. Really? That's just me. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm a bit gutted we didn't go for Timo Werner. I think he would have been really good for us that. Especially at 50 million, Dale. If they signed, okay, if they signed Timo Werner, Watch your front three next season because I'm intrigued to see what, who you have on the right if, if, if you want to. Well, the, the thing with Werner is so Werner can play and has played many times as an inside left forward and a front three. He can do that really well. Um, he can also play in a two man striker. He's the uh, most comparable player that you would see here on a regular basis to Werner will be Harry Kane. He's almost sort of a cross between a nine and a ten. He's got that versatility. He can create goals and score goals. He's got a good all-round game. So he could play as a two-man strike force as well. I mean, for me, you know, he would start. But watch your, that, that's just watch me your front three. Watch your front three then. Who's on the right? Who's on the right? Mm. If you got Ver- Well, this is, bearing in mind, you get Werner instead of Sancho, right? Yeah. Because I think that's one yeah. or the other. So you would say um, Rashford... Uh, it's interesting. I wonder if I would go actually for maybe like a... If you're going to go for a 4 3 which is obviously that's Ole's favourite system, right? He mm. likes a 4 3 or a 3 4 3 I think it's the other one he likes to play as well. So then you'd probably go for Martial, Rashford and Werner, right? And that would be the front three. Yeah, I, I, I just think that if, if, if like what we spoke about with Anthony Martial, if he finished the season as strongly as we, we hope he does... I think that will definitely put United's total eyes on getting a right winger. And, can I, and, and, yeah, can I, can I just say about maybe Igalo, if Igalo keeps, 
playing well yeah. now the end of the season, that should hopefully, if the price is right, persuade United to bring him in permanently. Because then yeah. that does give you a different option up front. And also he's someone that you, you maybe would be okay with not starting every game. But I still think Timo Werner, I think for the money that he was going for, I just can't believe he didn't go. I mean, all I could think with him, because he looks like he's, he is going to Chelsea, that Chelsea must have been in for that for a long, long time. They must have had the fingers on him for a long time because Bayern were after Timo Werner. Liverpool were more linked with him than anybody. I was almost certain he was going to go to Liverpool. I really thought that's where he was going. And then this Chelsea thing seems to have come out of nowhere. I don't ever remember Chelsea barely being linked with this guy. So that must have been something they'd had in the works for at least six months, Dale. It's the same with Hakim Ziyech because the Hakim Ziyech one kind of came out of nowhere and then they just announced that he was coming in at the end of the season. So this must have been in the works there for a while for them. This podcast will be released probably shortly before... Chelsea take on City and in the race for top four we'll definitely have our eyes on that one Mike Chelsea you mentioned that they, they're going to have team of Werner next season um, from what you've yeah, seen and, this and, season, and as well from what you've seen this team. season and with these players probably Gellamore with their new manager for next season do you think those additions could see them push maybe closer to the title and do you think that they'll come away from the game tonight with three points uh, no I think City are going to beat them Tonight, to be quite honest. Um, I still think Chelsea have a lot of problems defensively. So unless I think Chelsea are in the same boat as us, they need to buy at least one top-class centre-half. And I don't see where they could have the money to get that if they've spent... They've already spent £85 million on two players. They need to get rid of players as well. I think that might be a priority for Lampard is getting rid of a few people. So obviously, if Werner's coming in... That's it for Giroud. I mean, they've been trying to get rid of him for ages anyway, and they can't, so surely he's done. I think Pedro by all accounts is done. They want to move Willian on. I think Cahill's still in and around the club. They want to move him on. Um, I think Marcus Alonso's still there. Yeah, I think so. Marcus Alonso's still there. I think he they they're looking to move him on. Obviously the goalkeeper as well, which is gonna they're gonna take a huge hit on him. For a loss, he was about what was he, 70 million pounds, something like that. He was a lot of money. Um, I think he actually cost more than Allison in the end. I think they paid more for him than Allison, so they're gonna take a big hit on him. So, I don't know. Obviously, they were already good going forward this season, Chelsea, but they seem to struggle in big games. Do you not think? I mean, we schooled them in the two games we played against them, yeah. Like, Ole will never have an easier afternoon. Easy a couple of afternoons as he did with those two games against Chelsea. It was so easy. He could see in the first five, ten minutes how Chelsea were going to play and how to beat them. It kind of reminded me of when that period of time where we always used to play Arsenal and Ferguson just went, all right, just sit off, learn that and have the ball until about 30 yards ago and then we'll just nick the ball off him and just ping him on the break. Easy done. And that was what we did against Chelsea in the two games. And I saw... And it's amazing because there was quite a big gap between those two games. A lot had happened. And yet I saw very little tactical development from Chelsea in those two games. Um, so I think City will beat them. I don't see... Because the other thing is I look at Chelsea's midfield and go, how are they going to deal with the Bruyne and Bernardo Silva and Rodri and Fernandinho? Yeah, but there are rumours there are, there are that Pep Guardiola is going to rest a few of the, his big players. Be interesting. I wouldn't. I'd want to beat them. 
I want to make sure that I beat them, but we'll see what happens. Maybe that's that's the only way Chelsea got a chance of winning this game. I don't do fancy them against City at all. Do you think it's going to be a, a big, a defining moment almost this game in the race for top four? Which United beating Sheffield, keeping the pressure on and, and, and being in pretty good form, I think, with the return. That if, with Sheffield falling away, Chelsea potentially losing tonight. Big boost for United with two points behind Chelsea then. Yeah, we've got, uh, I can't remember now, but the running's, it's, it's not a bad looking running no, for us, it's, I don't think. We have, Leicester, well? we have Leicester in the last game of the season, which could be interesting. Is that at home though? Yeah, but other than that, it's, yeah. um, it's, it's a pretty nice running. But, but again, Leicester against the teams around them don't have a good record this season. I think United did a pretty good job of shutting them out when we weren't in as good a form earlier in the season. Um, I think that was an Ole was a bit more focused on trying to get the team tighter defensively, which was why we weren't scoring too many goals. Whereas, obviously, Bruno coming in and Martial getting his confidence again, we were able to kick on and start scoring more goals. So, yeah, the, the running's good for us. I think the focus is for us. I mean, it'd be nice to win the FA Cup, but I think the focus for us is to try and get in that top four. And also, because the Europa League will be restarting again, I think a little bit later, Maybe UEFA are looking to start the European competitions as the domestic seasons finish up. Um, and I think the, priority, the other priority is the Europa League. Let's guarantee us playing Champions League football next season. Let's not just be relying on City's appeal not working out. Because, you know, let's just assume UEFA are going to essentially back out of this ban and just give them a slap on the wrist or maybe like a suspended ban instead. So United need to secure that Champions League qualification for next season. It's, uh, if Chelsea lose tonight, that keeps the gap two points from us today, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, you know, every chance, every chance, at, like, like we were saying, the running's favourable for us. So as we keep our foot on the gas, I think what's encouraged me about the Sheffield United game, those are the games that we were struggling earlier in the season. I think that the way that we, we took control of that game was was very, very encouraging. And the way to pick holes in a team that would maybe sit a little bit deeper against us. Um, and we managed to do that in the second half against Spurs as well, you know. Coming towards the end of that game, United were starting to look like they could nick all three points against Spurs, despite the first half being extremely poor. And Spurs were sat back for pretty much all of that second half. So there's a lot of good signs there. And I think we keep improving. Um, it's still early days. But I think if we keep improving, we can still nick that fourth place. I think we've got every chance to nick that fourth place if you want to do it. I'm hoping City put out a decent team tonight, though. But even then, they could still do him, even resting a few players. You know, you've still got... You look at City, Phil, incredible Phil, squad. Phil Foden, yeah. Yeah. Phil Foden's got better and better. And Guardiola started bedding into the team a little bit more. I think Foden is slowly replacing David Silva, who I think is probably going to be... I think he's leaving yes, at the end of the season, season Silva. So Foden is kind of the guy that's stepping into his place. He's a very Guardiola midfield player as well. He he loves that kind of player, so he's betting in. They've got good options going forward. It's Laporte back now as well for them. I think um, he's back, isn't he, Laporte? Or am I just imagining that? He's back I don't think in the he's team back now. Yet. I don't think so. Not quite yet. Um, is he back? They looked... Well, I feel like he is. I didn't see I can't remember the Arsenal, because the Arsenal game, I was so preoccupied by that. David Luiz high theatrical farce that he took to in that 30 minutes that I just forgot everyone else was on the field. 
Um, but, um, you know, it's, they've got a lot of options, especially going forward. Phenomenal amount of options. And like I said, Chelsea at the back, really not that good defensively. I'm yeah, I'm going to I'm going to keep know. an eye on that game tonight just to yeah, watch, well. watch Chelsea quite closely because I think this is a big game. They they have a number of um biggish games coming up between now and the end of the season. They've a tougher fixture list than we have. And I think just to see how they how they go into this game, it's a must win for them. Every game is a must win for Chelsea now. We're we're we're, we're right at their heels. Um a, a two-point cushion is going to make them very, very nervy if if they drop points like they see United were sweeping away Sheffield United. Need to get it to a one game turnaround. Yeah, big time. Get it to a one game turnaround gap that really puts the pressure on. Um, Mike, this weekend just since we won the podcast up beforehand, United are away to Norwich City in the FA Cup. Obviously, it's a competition that we'd love to see Solskjaer win in his first full season in charge. Do you see him making many changes to the lineup because a lot of games. He made five substitutions at once last night, quite iconically the first Premier League manager to do so. Um, do you see him making money changes to the, the starting lineup? Maybe a start for Daniel James, who was taken out for the Sheffield game in place of yes. Greenwood. I think so. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Rashford and Pogba maybe still started the game, just to get another couple of games into their legs. Uh, I think Gallo will start this game. Um I think maybe at least one, if not both, of Fred and McTominay are going to come in. But that's not a big deal if they come in for, say, like Bruno and Matic, two of the three of Bruno, Matic and Pogba, because I think those two coming in, so it gives you a very good, well-balanced midfield. Um, so, I guess what we've been saying throughout the show, we've got some options to make a few changes here and there now, if we need to. And I don't think lose to a, a huge a huge amount, you know. So I think he will make a few changes. Do you, do you um, think, I, I think I just, Maguire will still play, I would say. Maguire's still going to play. I could see Eric Bailly maybe playing in this game. I could see Brandon Williams playing in this game. I think Romero's probably going to play. I, I would assume maybe in goal. It's a good chance for him to come in and play. Um, but um, yeah, there'll be a few changes. I, I don't, I, I don't I see... Uh, the players that are going to come man. in... I don't no, but I think maybe teams. three or four, Dale. I think we can yeah. maybe look at three or four faces. But then when you look at you say who I said would come in, it's still a good team. Yeah. It's still a really good team that could go and win that game. I think um and uh, United won't be the only team making a few changes for that cup game this weekend out of the top teams, especially with the fact that we've had most of our players coming back. It's a shame Twan uh was was um not fit because I would like what to see wrong? Him what is wrong with him? You know, it's every season. Like, I, yeah. when he went out on loan at Villa, I have a, a friend of Sports Villa, and I'd regularly text to see how he was getting on in most games. And most of the texts back were out injured. This is over the two seasons. Now, I know in the second season he played a bit more, but he was injured when they got promoted towards the end, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but, or was it the other way around? Either way, he spends a lot of time out injured. And, we all speak so highly of him. He's a brilliant, brilliant defender with so much potential. But if he doesn't get time on the pitch, that potential and that and his development is going to be burnt to crisp. He's not going to get a chance. Yeah. Anymore. What concerns me is that Villa didn't ask to keep him from the season as well, like because that would have been a boon for them to have. I don't think they United. Ask him. I don't think United would have accept would have let him go on this season. I know, but he's not playing this season, Dale. That's the thing. Um, 
I appreciate Solskjaer's priority was probably to get Smalling and Jones off the books. And uh, that idiot, uh, what's his name, Rafa, as well. But um, yeah, he needs to, I don't know, whatever's going on with his fitness, whatever he's doing, it's not working. It's not working because he's not staying fit. And he needs to stay fit. This is his chance now. This is his chance to, to get himself, force himself up into the packing order. There's a spot there next to Harry Maguire that I still think long-term he's up for grabs, centre-half. You need to be pressing on and making your case. And he's, what, how old is he now? 22? 21, 22? 22, yeah. He's, so he's coming into the age now where you need to start stamping your... You need to be putting your mark down in the first team. You know, you really need to be putting your mark down in the first team. It's what we're saying about... You look at Marcus Rashford, he's really started putting his mark down in the first team as a leader and the consistency this season. He came through a bad run of goal-scoring form to start scoring goals before his injury. He's stamping his mark on the team. Scott McTominay's stamping a place on the team. You know, Aaron Wambasaka, young guy, stamping a place on the team. Brandon Williams comes straight in, putting his mark down, saying, I should be in this team. Mason Greenwood, come in, teenager, putting his mark down. I should be in this team. Daniel James, all right, he's had a bit of a drop-off, but it's his first season, but he's still done enough to show, hey, you should be putting me in your first team. <clears throat> so, you know, even players that we've written off, people like Fred. Fred's been putting the mark down this team, saying, I should be in this team. You should be picking me in your first 11. Got to put a marker down. This is the time to do it when Solskjaer is putting together a squad that he's going to be able to challenge for the league maybe two years down the line. Not next season. Next season's going to be a bit soon, I think. But to really push on two years down the line to be a title winning team, because I think that's, that's realistic. I think we all recognise earlier in the season that you can't expect United to be challenging within the next season or two. Maybe two or three years, though, that was the target. It took Klopp four years to mm. build a team that could challenge City for the title, and it's five for him to actually have a team that's going to win the league this season. It took a long time. Needs time. Twansley needs to put that marker down now because if he's not, he's going to be moved on. And I mentioned Liverpool because I look at someone like Jordan Hyde, who everyone mooted as the guy that was going to replace Raheem Sterling when Sterling went to City. It's not happened. But look, look at know, Joe Gomez, I, the potential he's had and the, all the injuries. He's in the same yeah. boat as Twansley. You know, there, there was a time there about two years ago I would have said that he was going to be a certainty right now to be in Liverpool or in England, starting at the centre-back, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, it hasn't yeah. worked out. Injuries. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was really... Because he got some bad injuries. Yeah. They were knee injuries. Just, so I've, had, I've had that injury with the ACL before. It's not a nice injury to get. It can be a free thing. Again, maybe he needs to make a few changes to his training. Um, I, you think sometimes if you're having issues with those, maybe working like movement training tends to be the way to go so you can build up that strength around your knee without putting too much stress on it. It's a big problem for him as well, especially with then Van Dyke coming in and then Matip stepping up. But yeah, I mentioned Jordan Ibe was, was one because he was supposed to come in and replace Sterling. He didn't. He went to Bournemouth. The last I heard of Jordan Ibe, Jordan Ibe he was crashing his car into a cafe in London at 4 a.m. So last we heard of Jordan Knight, and he's done now as a top level player as I'm concerned because he's only getting himself to blame. Yeah. Got when once you hit that point where you're going into your early twenties, that is the point where your physical development's reaching up, and that's the point where you need to be stamping your mark on the first team. And yeah, if Transbay doesn't do that within the next twelve months, he's done. Because I think Solskjaer might go out and buy a centre half anyway. I, I I think 
I, I mean, I've not heard anything, but I, there seems to be it seems to have been pretty quiet on the speculation, apart from Sancho, which has been the consistent, but everything else seems to have been quite quiet yeah. on the speculation from United. Definitely, and even terms of new names being linked, it's, it, it, it's being kept on the wraps, I feel. I think there, there could be one or two small surprises in the summer, especially if, I think so. if, if they lose out on Jude Bellingham. Um, I think they might look for some someone else in the same kind of yeah. Team, like a young yeah that Dortmund thing looks like that's going to happen. It does it Dortmund. does, and it's, it's, it's which makes which makes me think now is Sancho indeed moving on in the summer that they're making. They might see um, Jude Bellingham as, as their next um, their next Sancho. You know he's not a winger, he's a central midfielder, but in, yeah. in a way of, of a project that they that they can develop and give first team football to uh, watch and blossom. But uh, just before we go, my prediction time, um, Norwich FA Cup, we're going to progress, scoreline prediction? Yeah, I think we'll progress. I think we'll win 3-1. 3-1 convincingly. Okay, well, I'm going to go with 2-0 United. I think we'll progress. Um, maybe a few changes to the team, not too many. I think Solskjaer will be wary of the fact that after the game against Sheffield, he want to keep people motivated. And I, and I, I just yeah. imagine, I, I imagine right now, and I really hope, that when Mar- if Martial is told he's not starting, I hope he kicks off a stinker. I hope he's annoyed about it because I want Martial to be hungry to play every game. Yeah, I, I want play, to get my goals. goals. Exactly. That, yeah. that, that, that's exactly what I want. So, I want him, Yeah. Doing a Ronaldo. When Ronaldo finds out he's not playing because he's got six games. Yeah. I want to play. I want to score some goals. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's, what, uh, that's what someone who I, exp- who I want leading my line is someone that is pissed off when they're not playing games. That even if it's time to get a rest, they're not happy. I'd imagine people like Wayne Rooney would have been one of them or, you know, the likes of hungry players, the winners, and the hope Martial. I think, I, I think even Lukaku didn't appreciate it when he wasn't starting matches. Yeah, he loved playing football. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that, that's, that's our show. I'm going to wrap it up now. Um, thanks for listening. Obviously, it's nice having football back. Weird without fans. We might talk a bit about more about that next week but um, for now if you, if you want to become a member of, of Straighty News and Straighty Cast we can really do with your support join us on patreon.com forward slash Straighty News you can follow us on Twitter as well at Straighty Cast or at Straighty News Mike what about your social media can people follow you and your own account well I mean follow the Straighty Cast primarily that's the account you want to follow for this um, and then my account would be at Mycroft underscore Holmes. Um, you can find me on there. Um, I, I, there's going to be a new Icons of Old Trafford piece coming out uh, very soon. That's going to be David Beckham. There's going to be a bit of a Class of 92 focus in the next few weeks. Hopefully me and Dale, amidst all the current football going and can find it time to sit down and talk a little bit about, about those guys and, and what yeah. they meant to the club. Because I think there's a lot of players in that group of that Fergie's fledglings in the early to mid-90s that aren't talked about, that were also tipped to go and kick on and never quite did. I think of people like Ben Fornley and Keith Gillespie and people like that. Some of them have good careers. Chris Caspel was another one who was highly thought of. So, um, yeah, talk a little bit more about that. But Beckham was the first one I wanted to open with. He was my favourite player when I was a kid after Canton, I retired. And I think he was... I almost feel like he's a little overlooked and underrated because of the whole superstar stuff and maybe because it was such a long time ago when he left the club now. I just it was say 17 well. years ago when he left the club. And it's kind of that weird thing of me thinking now, David Beckham's got grown-up children? Yeah. <laughs> just, just before I wrap it up on Beckham, because he's the icons of Old Trafford piece this week. Yeah, Has there been an athlete, very few athletes have ever reached his level of stardom 
for starters, very few. You only count them all. Certainly not in, not in, certainly not in football association no. football. No, I think he took the lead of. I, I mentioned this in my piece. Actually, I said Beckham very clearly, because um, it basically his um, his agent essentially his agent became Simon Puller, who is a, an entertainment agent. Still, his agent now. That's who manages him. Um, one of the things that always bothered me, not about Beckham, but how people reacted to him, was that he always said he was a bit stupid because of his voice. Nothing stupid about David Beckham. One of the smartest guys to ever operate in the game. And I said how, when you were talking about his status as stardom, he set the trend for people like Messi and Ronaldo that you have now to capitalise on your career to a point where when you retire, you are financially going to be looked yeah. after. You can keep having a career maybe not having to stay in the game. You know, I think if you look at the growth of Major League Soccer in the United States, and it has grown hugely in the last few years, even to the point now where those teams in MLS, they're not really signing these over-the-hill superstars anymore. The average, the designated player, which traditionally tended to be the Asian player coming from Europe in MLS, is 28 now. They're signing a lot of players from uh, South and Central America, up-and-coming players from South and Central America, a lot of them are now going to the United States because it's a chance where they can earn a bit more money, they can have a better standard of living and they can play some good football to maybe uh, in a better run association because MLS is, is very, very well run. Beckham is a huge part of why that's taken off, you know. Yeah. And no, no, what, deal what, he... what I was saying was the way he, he has this level of stardom. You've mentioned yeah. so many factors about how he helped promote the game in America and really get that injection of excitement back into the MLS. He, the way in which he, he's controlled everything, that he has that much stardom and he's still the person in which he is, I think it's a massive credit to him. And I think it's, it's, it probably overlooks of what a great footballer he was because he's also a really good person. Um, yes, he's you know an I mean? incredible footballer, one of the hardest working footballers I'd ever seen, one of the best professionals that's ever been in the game. He took about a man that won league titles in four countries. Right up until he retired, he was playing at the highest level. That's how that's that's how good he was. I remember going back and looking at the ace the game when we played Milan when he came back to the club. And he came on within about five minutes of him coming on, he smashed in this volley that hit the crossbar. As soon as he came on the field, when we had that, was that friendly not too long ago? Was it the uh, where Beckham played the United Legends team. Yeah. Um, was it Bayern? And he was, he was the best player on the pitch in the game. <laughs> and I watched him play and he was like, he looked like he could still go and play now. Yeah. Um, such is the testament. I always said he, his, I think he was that group of guys that he, he came through with, Giggs and, and Scholes and Nicky Butt, Gary Neville and Phil Neville, who came in a little bit after they all took the lead of Eric Cantona of that first one in, last one out on the training ground. Mm. They really took that because Cantona took those guys under his wing. Um, and a little bit when some of them first broke through, Brian Robson did a lot of work with them as well to help develop them. It's kind of overlooked actually what a good mentoring job Robson did with some of those players. So talking to them about how they needed to develop their game. Um, and, you know, incredible really. And the amount of pressure that there was on Beckham to succeed because he was replacing Andre Kinchelskis, who was one of the main stars of that team. He was Andre Kinchelskis, when he left United, was one of the best players in the Premier League. People might not realise now how good Andre Kinchelskis was. He was an unbelievable footballer. 
he was sort of like a almost like a prototype for Cristiano Ronaldo. He was a goal scoring winger, could almost play as a centre forward. Beckham was coming in to replace that, not having the attributes that he had, and he surpassed him by miles. Absolutely surpassed him, and that was. And I think one of the things that was always overlooked with Beckham is his intelligence and the way that he could manage a football match, which is why he was the England captain and why he was seen as a leader in whatever team he played for, because managers could trust him to go out and manage the other players on the field. It's always overlooked with Beckham. Kind of annoys me that it is overlooked. Um, maybe he liked it that way because it almost meant that opposition would maybe underestimate him a little bit. And I think maybe he enjoyed that a little bit, but an incredible footballer. And... The fact that he stands out in a generation, one of the best generations of young talent that any club has ever produced, I think you go, you put it up there with the group that came through at Barcelona in the early 2000s that Guardiola took a hold of, maybe the, the, the Real Madrid group that came through in the late 1980s with Emilio Butragueno. It's very rare you get, I think, I think Bayern as well had a pretty good group um, that Van Gaal had helped sort of nurture into the first team in the mid to late 2000s. We had Schweinsteiger, Tony Cruz, Philip Lahm, David Alaba all coming into the team. Um, a really absurdly gifted generation. He stood out among that and he showed that he could go and do it anywhere. And I always liked, I always think about when he was at Real Madrid, and as a finish up on this, Fabio Capello tried to force him out of the club. David Beckham forced his way back into the first team and was one of the main reasons Real Madrid yeah. won a league title. They had no business winning that season. They were so far behind. And basically, David Beckham and Ruud van Nistelrooy saved that season for Real Madrid. Yeah, no, it's an incredible story. And that icons of, all, of, David, of Old Trafford with David Beckham piece will be on the blog later on this evening. So that's it for this week's podcast. Hopefully we're talking about another win on Monday. When, I, when we reviewed the, the game against Norwich City, of course, there'll be plenty of analysis of that game on the blog last night. The game against Sheffield United, we hit a record for the amount of articles published in one day. We hit 32. Um, that's, 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 that's a lot of articles, a lot of stuff to yeah, get Yeah, that, that's people having no live football to watch for three months. This is yeah, what happens. That, that's as a result of that, exactly. So, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.